G'day, thanks for joining the Heights Church Podcast today. We hope you enjoy our message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Gorston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia. Uh, one of my all-time favourite movies, and I'm sure it's yours too, uh, is Mr Bean the movie. It's, it's, it's true Mr Bean fashion where Rowan Atkinson uh, as Mr Bean uh, kind of shows all the idiocy that, 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 he, that he might display, being clumsy and all the things that, that happened around him. He goes undercover as, a, as an art critic in the Louvre. Of course, he's not an art critic or even close to it. And in true Mr Bean form, he messes up while looking at Whistler's mother. He accidentally sneezes on the painting and then he tries to wipe it off. Then he uses thinners to get off because he, he tried to wipe it off with a, clean, a handkerchief that he had in his pocket, but a pen broke and he had ink all over it. So he wiped ink all over Whistler's mother. So he gets thinners to try to... And next thing you know, the head's just missing on Whistler's mother. And so he replaces that. He wipes an egg yolk all over it so that it, and dries it with a hairdryer so that it makes it look all crack, cracked and, uh, and, and fairly authentic, kind of age-like. And then the creator has a fit as the ruined original is eventually revealed, like you can see behind us. Meantime, Mr Bean covers it all up, ready for the big reveal, only to find out that when it was revealed in front of all the art critics and he was freaking out, wondering what was going to happen, they were all in awe of his wonderful art. I'm artistically challenged, and you probably have recognised that through all the stuff that we have uh, out. Um, but I had the priv- I've had the privilege, and probably you have as well, to see some of the most greatest paintings in the world, uh, that they ha- what they ha- all that they have to offer. Uh, and, but I, you know, personally, I just can't see necessarily the millions of dollars that are within them. For example, if you go to Canberra, you'll see three stripes called the Voice of Fire, which is valued at, wait for it, 40 million bucks. That's it. Can you believe that? I went looking for all my kids' artwork that they did in, in primary school and think, oh, I'm rich. I don't know about you. Art critic, I'm not. But the best critics can tell the original from the forged. And you see, because you can see, apparently, you can see the underlying painting, the fingerprint of the artist in every image that's portrayed. Now, I have no idea how you would ever tell the original of the Three Stripes, personally. But the person who recently valued it at $40 million could. A trained eye could discover and uncover greatness within the painting. The deep brushstrokes of the master. God created you and I as as original masterpieces, a masterpiece, the pinnacle of his creation, this beautiful image, this beautiful painting with all the emotional strokes of the artist, the creator God. The divine fingerprints of those made in the image of God. However, if you were going to ask somebody, if somebody was going to draw a picture of my life, it would be far from a perfect picture. And I suspect that it would be the same for you. If you don't think it is, well, then that just ruined your painting because we're all sinned, as we saw in Romans. It doesn't take Mr Bean ruined sort of Whistler, you know, James Whistler's painting to kind of understand that the original masterpiece that God created is far from what we are now. You see, there's been another image that's been painted over, a cheap imitation 
over the creator's work, that work of art that has been painted in your life and in my life. However, here's the rub. God doesn't want his work to be hidden. He doesn't want it to be hidden behind some cheap imitation. He made everything and he made everything to reflect his glory. We're created to worship God and to reflect God. Yet every day we fight a battle. And it's not the battle of the bulge, even though for some people that is very much significant. It's another battle and it's another work of another. Satan would have us believe that this side of heaven, we're destined to never uncover the masterpiece and he uses all means possible to keep it hidden. And Romans 12 brings out two clear strategy that Satan deploys to smash our own image. First, it is sin itself. And in this passage, a selfless, self-centred view of service. And second, a skewed worldview. And if we get either of them, if we take either of them on board, it can give us a sense of defeat. And without transformation, it can cause us to cease the quest to discover the beauty and the original masterpiece of the Creator. Now, before, since we've had a couple of weeks off over, over our school holidays, before we get into the first two verses of Romans, we need to do a brief recap of where we've got to in Romans so far. So it doesn't take long I think, for people to realise that I believe the Bible is the Word of God, but I don't believe the Bible is, is the Word of God out of context. The Bible is the Word of God in context, so we need to look at these two verses in context. Because it starts off, therefore, we've got to ask, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Don't we? And we've got to go back to have a look at that. And if we go back, we can easily see in the view of the mercy of God. Therefore, in the view of God's mercy, present your bodies. And you go, well, what's God's mercy? We look back. Romans chapters 1 to 11, headed up, God's mercy and grace in action. Romans 12, 1 is this pivot verse. And Romans 12, verses, uh, chapter 12 to 15, is our reasonable response to God's mercy. So that's where... Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, in the view of God's mercy, chapters 12 through to chapter 15, what's God's mercy? There's been many gems, I'm sure, that you have found in Romans chapters 1 to 11. And it's impossible, really, and I don't want to go back uh, this morning and look at all that it contains. However, I would suggest that it contains two particular things. Firstly, sin. Particularly, our sin. Sin not only is our body that it's dying, but sin that affects our mind and our thinking and our perception of life and spiritually the result of sin separates us from God. And in Romans we see that God's perfect picture is destroyed by sin. And in fact so much so that figuratively or sort of metaphorically all creation is groaning, wanting to be released from that capture that it finds itself in, that destroyed masterpiece, that sin has caused destruction on this world and on us. And if we just left it at that, we'd think, oh my goodness. But 
Romans chapter 11 doesn't do that. It talks about God's mercy, his mercy and his grace. Where Romans 1 to 11 paints that grim picture of desperate humanity separate from God, but from that canvas of sin emerges God's love and kindness, his grace and his mercy. And that's what it is, isn't it? In the view of that mercy. The mercy where God starts again to restore what was broken and commences on the cross, where Jesus' grace and his mercy in restoring us, not destroying us, starts that transformation where his masterpiece once again is revealed in you and in me. And if you go back to to, to uh, where Paul concludes in Romans chapter 11, it says, From him and through him, all things will be for his glory. All things. If you're going to get anything out of chapters 1 to 11, Romans is this, is that God of grace and mercy emerges, emerges and touches us. And he wants to transform you and I. Therefore, in the view of that mercy, in that total view of his mercy, Paul urges you and you can feel his passion. He doesn't give it as an imperative where you must do this. No, he's saying in view of that mercy, there needs to be a reasonable response from us. And the reasonable response for us is not to keep on living the way that Satan dictates us to live, but rather in the view of that mercy, be transformed. Give yourself, your whole self, as a living, holy sacrifice. That's holy, set apart for God, which is acceptable to God. And if you want to transform that, it's not our reasonable worship, it's our our reasonable service. How do we serve God? How do we give ourselves to him in in completeness? One commentary put it like this. Paul does not ask a favour when he says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, but rather he is stating an obligation. It's our obligation to think about what Christ has done and to make our commitment accordingly. There is scarcely anything more important uh, for a for building our commitment and an increasing understanding of the greatness of God and his mercies to us. Isaac Watts put it like this, love so amazing, so divine. What does it say? Demands my soul, my life, my all. So Paul is using the language of the Old Testament and he calls us to commit as an offering, as a complete offering. Paul says this, same as what was read out for us in 6, 11 to 14. Count ourselves dead to sin, but alive or living sacrifices to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies but so that it obeys the evil desires. Do not offer your part your parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer our parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law or doing things to appease God, but under grace. 
And Romans 6 and Romans 12 makes it abundantly clear that we have a choice to either present ourselves to our world or present ourselves to God, either to hold on to our sinful, evil desires, that is self-seeking desires, or to present ourselves to God as Lord, which is our reasonable service. If our focus is on our sinful nature, then we'll never uncover the masterpiece that is presented for us. To serve God, to give ourselves to him. It's a hard choice because our self-seeking mindset works against wholeheartedly serving God. As we seek to please ourselves and to advance ourselves, we're not bringing glory to God, but ourselves. The philosophy that our world encapsulates is a commercial jingle that I'm sure that you uh, have uh, been familiar with because it played over and over again. Be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Controlled by no one but you. That's that sin that Satan uses to mask the masterpiece that has been created in us. It's amazing, though, that as we present ourselves to God and his service, we're not just serving our creator, we're not just giving of ourselves, we're discovering our true self. What were we created to be? The strokes of the creator's brush, and in serving God, we find our true purpose and our true meaning. But Satan will have you think differently that as you get in touch with yourself and you please yourself and you're involved with yourself, that only then will you know you. But I think that you get further and further away because we, don't seek to, we cease to understand what the master has created us for. Humanity, you and I, have been created to serve its creator. We don't come here to get something out of our service. We gather together to be his people and serve each other and serve our community. That's what church is. That's what we have been created for, is that. Why? Because in service together and in using the gifts that you have been given, not for you, but for each other, you uncover that masterpiece. And it's only through presenting ourselves to his service that God uncovers that masterpiece And it includes our gifts. But we need to remember that when offering ourselves, we're not the ones who decide what service we're to do. God does. We don't decide the what, when, how or who with, but simply we trust and we present ourselves to God. My sinfulness, though, would have me truly like a living sacrifice and I try to crawl off the altar. And I don't know whether that's you or not. And I have to ask myself the question, have I presented myself to God or to another God? Have I presented myself to sin? And I'm not talking about obvious sin. I'm talking about what Romans is talking about here. Have I decided personally the how, where, when God wants me to serve and I'm the one that constructs that serving? 
or have I presented myself totally for, to God for his service? And it would be the same questions that you would ask as well. God could have made a new canvas as he has did, had done in previous times in Noah and in Sodom and Gomorrah. Instead, he chooses to enable us to strip away that what's been laid in front of us, to wash clean that cheap imitation to discover who we really are. And my prayer is for you, as it is for me, is that you would be able to do that. You would be able to wash clean that cheap imitation and not ask the questions of how I'm to serve, what I'm to serve, where I'm to serve, but just offer yourself to God and say, I want to serve. Where would you have me go? So our sin, our self-centeredness covers the masterpiece. The second one is that Satan skews our worldview, the way that we view our world, the way that we view ourselves in this world, and a way that we view serving as part of living in this world. And Paul challenges us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but rather to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. See, Paul encourages us to discard this worldview in regard to God's service. For he calls, God calls for a transformation in our thinking to no longer look at our service from a me world frame, but look at it from a God's world frame. And as we wrap ourselves in word and, uh, God's word and prayer, he will transform our thinking. It'll be like a metamorphosis, of, so to speak, uh, where we'll start to understand the proper picture of the way that our masterpiece should look in service of God. And we'll be able to discern what God's will is for us. We need to have that perfect picture, though, to understand what it's supposed to look like. Because as we look at it in our world, all we see is something that is wrong and skewed. When I was shoeing, I, uh, part of my role in shoeing, uh, a horse, that is, <laughs> Uh, was that I had to know in my mind what a perfect foot would look like on a horse's foot. None of them were perfect, by the way, but basically what happened is that you'd make a shoe perfectly, as, as perfect as I could make it, and then you'd put it on the foot and you'd think, my goodness, there's nothing like that. But that's what my mind needed to say is that this foot isn't what it's supposed to be this is what it's supposed to be. How am I going to get this foot to look like this shoe that I made? Now, I could just whack it on and then hope that it all sort of bent and sort of moulded eventually into the shoe, but that doesn't happen. What happens is that little piece by little piece, I would start to bang that perfect shoe to make it into this imperfect mould. Now, if I put it perfectly on that foot, in other words, it was the right distances outside of the, the, the horse's foot shape and then it was still bent and all the rest of the things and the heels were too far in and the nose was, all, and the toe was too, too far out, all those things, well, then it just stayed the same. But what I did was I, I made it just closer to what that perfect shoe would look like and every time I shod the horse, I would eventually 
have in my mind, this is where I need to get to, and I'm just going to work at it, work at it, work at it. And as I moved one side out just a little bit, then I found that the horse's foot would start to grow into that side, then I'd move it out a bit further, then I'd move the heels. And, I'd do, and eventually what would happen would be that I would get a relatively perfect foot. But I had no idea what, I should, what it should look like unless I had in my mind what that image should be. Now, as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, I think a better way of looking at it is we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. We are slowly but surely with the image of God in our mind going to think and act the way that he designates in his word. Now, for some people, it might be a little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. Sometimes you'll need to make radical changes, which, which I did sometimes on horse's foot. I would take a Dremel tool and I'd cut out half of its foot because it was not growing in the right direction and it meant that the horse was going to be out of balance and if it was a racehorse, it meant that it was going to break its leg or do something like that. So sometimes I had to get a Dremel tool and cut out the whole of it. And what I'd do is I'd put that perfect shoe on and I'd epoxy it down and the foot would follow the epoxy level going all the way down to the shoe. Now, you're not in a shoeing lesson, so I don't want to go too much further than that. But you can get my drift. Sometimes God has to go, cut it off. And then I'll make it grow down to where it should be. Other times, little adjustments by little adjustments by little adjustments along the line. See, our world and our day and age tells us how we should view ourselves. And it evaluates our self and sometimes our self-worth or who we are using a formula consisting of experience and productivity and acceptance of others. And what we do and what we've achieved and how we're perceived by others really matter. It's how we gain our self-understandings. You know that's true because sometimes you go out for a dinner and what's the first thing someone says? Asks you, what do you do for a living? Who are you? What's happening within your world? The world, which can include sometimes even some Christians, can say that our self-worth is formed by hard work and self-achievement and a bit of luck and actually presents a twisted worldview where if we head down a particular job path, then we're able to achieve all that we can be. Yeah. A Harris poll, 38% of born-again Christians surveyed. Now, I don't know what that means for a Harris poll, who they surveyed and what they did, but 38% of born-again Christians said, believe that God was in control of our world or life. Only 38% of born-again Christians. Now, you do the math. So it stands to reason that if they don't believe in God, well, then what do they believe or who do they believe is in control of their life? Them. Our world also says that we possess what's important and our ability to complete that picture by what we do and how we present ourselves in life. It's a sign of great achievement when we've earned it. Remember that? You know, like you've seen it before, where our money becomes our money because we've earned it. We've achieved it. We've banked it. 
Our possessions are ours. Don't touch them. Should never do that. And in fact, our world paints a view that we're the sum of all that we have. Those with nothing of you as povos. Those with heaps are uh, viewed as something special and successful in life. Let's not view ourselves, our sacrifice to God, our reasonable service to God in that world frame. Because if we do, we fail to recognise who we are, have been made by God and what he has given to us, not for our own self-use, but for the service of him and others. Christians who have been Christians for some time can always look back on their life and see how God has formed and shaped their life. And there has been in my life some of those Dremel tool cuts away stuff that has hurt as he has made me into something that I never intended me to be, but he did. And there's always been times when you speak to people who have been Christians for a while where they can turn around and say how God shaped them and how he shaped them for service of him. We're not to view our lives through the world's perspective, but rather we're to view our lives through God's perspective and how would he have us view It's Jesus' perspective. And pride wouldn't be part of that picture. Diversity would be okay because, and not exclusivity because, because he's made us diverse. Willing, sacrificial service would be part of who God has made us, that we're not conformed to this world. We've not bought into that self-centred generation and we use its criteria to judge our self-worth. We only use Jesus and God's. We're all unique. We're all a part of the original and we should not be ever satisfied with a cheap imitation given to us by another. Transformation can only come from that proper view of the masterpiece And that proper view of the masterpiece can only come through studying God's word. He has revealed to us who we are and who he wants us to be. And our prayer and our offering ourselves to him is to take us and mould us to be the people of God who he wants us to be. And only at that point will we ever discover how intricate the gifts of God are in our lives and in our congregation. It's the only time that we'll start to celebrate, truly be able to celebrate together what God has given to us. I don't know whether you celebrate, whether you look at the gifts that people have in service at our church and not to say it's great that they step up and they give of themselves, rather a celebration of what God has given through them. We celebrate them through God and their willingness to put aside their self-centred serviceness or a self-centred serviceness that our world would say that you need to do, but rather we give ourselves and we worship and we celebrate what God is doing in their life, which one part is that he comes first. We will together be the people of God praising and giving thanksgiving to God who will honour him. Or simply put, 
It will be our appropriate worship. We'll begin to see the masterpiece revealed and we'll give rave reviews of what's going on. We'll begin to realise a greater masterpiece than our own personal lives and we'll recognise the masterpiece of the church, the body of Christ, and we will together present that body as reasonable service to him, which is holy and acceptable to God himself. Amen? My prayer that he keeps on working me, I, you look, you know, if you want to look at the perfect Christian, I don't know what that would be. I know in SRE I get people to draw what a Christian's like and they generally have bad clothes um, and if I'm standing there they won't have any hair uh, and, uh, and it would be kind of like this Christian figure. And I don't know what the, the perfect Christian model that you have viewed from, from the Bible is and where you, because unless you have that, well then you, you've got no idea where God is leading you and what God is do, wants you to do in your life. Well, it's like that for me. As I keep on reading, I keep on getting convicted that I'm not what I'm meant to be like, but it seems to be what I'm content with. And so I ask God to make me not content with the way that I am, but help me to change and be the person that he would have me to be. That when I sit there and say, I'm not able to, I'm not capable of, I'm, 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 I'm who I am, to recognise that God will gift me and gift you for his service with his people, whatever those gifts might be. And who am I to ever say to God, this is the way that I'm going to serve, this is what I'm going to do, this is when I'm going to do it. But rather I would give myself wholly to him, set apart for him and offer myself to him and listen to him about where I'm to serve and what I'm to do, which is my spiritual, my reasonable act of service to him. Let's pray. In the view of God's mercy, Lord, is just a huge statement. And as we've looked at Romans, Lord, we have been blown away of your mercy, that you were not satisfied with the way our sin-stained life but rather you have started that transformation in our world and in our lives. For some things, it's complete through your blood. We don't need to keep on striving to get to you. You have made that totally possible. You have restored that new relationship that I can have with you through Jesus Christ. We thank you that that is complete. We're not standing with you right yet for all eternity, but it's complete as in there's no more to do. It's finished. But as I look at my life and how I would long for it to reflect the nature and character of Jesus, there is so much to do. Help me, Lord, not to get caught up with this world's way of thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind so I might give to you and that you might get all the praise and glory. I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling in certain areas, resisting the change and sometimes not even know how to really think. I just pray, Lord, that through your spirit, 
you might start that transformation, that renewal of their mind, and that you might assure them that you equip them for the task. And I just pray these things, Lord.